Okay, so we have a lot to get into in this episode, so uh, I'm going to be pretty quick. Like, this is a 3,000-word uh, document that we're going through uh, that has a ton of information on uh, what you guys clicked on, basically. Um, actually, even the next episode is going to be just as long as this, so i, I got to keep it uh, quick. But anyways, this is the 20th episode, so thank you guys so much uh, for staying on and... Uh, letting me post like crazy stuff like this because I know they're very heavy topics, but yeah, thank you for being there um, and being this small but uh, very dedicated community that exists uh, surrounding my podcasts. Um, we are one fifth of the way there to the goal, which is a hundred episodes, which I plan personally, and this is the first time I'm saying this to any of you. I plan personally on publishing it, not as a book, but like just printing it out as a book, basically making every single thing I've ever written on uh, through here onto a book. Um, it's going to be long because it's already 100 pages long and I'm a fifth of the way done, so it's going to be long. But anyways, let's get into this episode, shall we? Yes, we shall. Okay. In the 21st century, uh, scientists, uh, notably physicists and astronomers, have made exceptional discoveries and exceptional advancements in the field of science. Uh, from the discovery of the Higgs boson, and meaning the discovery of actual physical evidence of the Higgs boson, to the discovery of the neutrino, and meaning, again, physical evidence of the neutrino, and a new state of matter, uh, astronomers and physicists alike have had have made many important and outstanding contributions to the scientific development of our society in this century. It seems to me that these incredible discoveries often go overlooked. Uh, we are so caught up in our screens and our crises uh, that we forget to realize the intense and exceptional development occurring right under our noses. Uh, think of the crises that hit us in 2020. Um, like, we have the new and little understood coronavirus uh, that quickly worsened into a pandemic. Uh, the abhorrent racial injustices amplified through various uh, groups on both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, a bitter U.S. election, and whenever there's a bitter U.S. election, it's pretty bad because the U.S. has a very uh, strong influence over the rest of the world. And we've seen that this year. We've seen the extremism that has existed on, in other countries outside of the United States, which has always a, been a haven for extremism in its own way. Um, and a lot, a lot more. So I, the election brought um, global democracy and to a, almost a collapse, very close, um, and it almost created a dictatorship in the freest country on the planet, um, among many other crises, of course. There are many other things that con contributed to this. I mean, there are the lockdowns, the economic collapse, hate, bigotry, extremism, attempted coup d'etats, um, and many other things. They All of them kept us isolated from the brilliant and lasting scientific achievement uh, during the tragic crises that we all face. Uh, I, I've decided, uh, as a result of this, to make a series on the scientific advancement that occurs right under our noses. Specifically, the scientific advancement occurring in my two favorite fields, astronomy and physics. Um, astronomy and physics are also the two fields of science, possibly excluding computer science, in which there exists the most rapid, rapid development and change. And the, the reason for this is that we don't know that much about all this yet. So there's... There's a lot to learn 
in these fields. So in this first episode of many monthly episodes, we will investigate the greatest and most profound discoveries that that uh, astronomers and physicists alike made in the first month of the new year, 2021. So our first discovery, our first notable discovery that we're going to note is interesting and it the reason why i added this was because my top college is very much involved in this my top college is the university of chicago and some of their undergraduates in the new uh, astrophysics program discovered something interesting so there is actually a bright gravitationally lensed uh galaxy that was discovered by u chicago undergraduates um but yeah so Obviously, I still have two years before I make my decision, but I plan on going to UChicago, on applying early to UChicago, but of course that can change, so there's no solid uh, there's no solid example on what I'm actually going to do right now. I was thinking Harvard for a long time, but I kind of switched it because I love Chicago. Um, but yeah, so at this place, at this uh, institution, uh, undergraduates at the university made an important discovery. Uh, the students actually observed a matured galaxy, which is extremely rare, uh, formed when the universe was only 1.2 billion years old, and that's why I mean extremely rare, uh, which is well under 10% of its current age. Uh, the galaxy seemed to be very far ahead of its time, as it had already matured and had become sizable, um, actually nearly the size of the current Milky Way galaxy. Uh, so that's that's pretty big, that's pretty massive. Um, yeah, uh, galaxies during that period in the universe's existence were generally small and immature, but this galaxy certainly was not. Um, the undergraduates from uh, UChicago made the discovery by surveying public domain imaging data uh, from the Magellan Telescope in Chile, uh, in Chile and the Gemini North Telescope in Hawaii, uh, basically in order to find what are known as lensed galaxies. So lensed galaxies has ev have everything to do with a concept known as gravitational lensing. Gravitational lensing occurs when an extremely distant object, like, for example, this galaxy, releases light that travels in the direction of a region with an extreme gravitational pull. Generally, uh, it's, a, a, it's like it's a galaxy cluster, very large object. Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, so in the case of the most distant star ever discovered, Icarus, um, the... Uh, galaxy cluster that actually uh, amplified the light so that, that gravitationally lends the star uh, was uh, it was the reason for it so it was a gravitate it was a galaxy cluster that actually caused the um, it was a galaxy cluster that actually causes gravitational lensing so and it's happened in many other situations uh, this concept actually reminds me um, like so basically, when the photonic light reaches the gravitational bounds of the massive cluster, the directionality of the light itself actually bends because of the gravity. Um, and basically, the light begins to travel in a different direction. So the parallel that I'm trying to explain here is with interplanetary rockets. Uh, I think of the Voyagers, for example, which use the same gravitational concept to propel themselves in different directions and at higher speeds. Obviously, in this case, with photonic light, they can't go at higher, and they definitely can got, cannot go at lower speeds. So, obviously it's different, but the concept is still similar. Uh, they, their trajectory has changed, and I guess, basically... Uh, its directionality is altered. That's basically what happens. That's a big point. 
its velocity is altered. So it's directionality specifically, the directionality uh, node of its velocity. Um, but yeah, so uh, so the light actually from this lens object, lens obje object actually forms a halo appearance around the massive cluster because the photons emanating from the lens galaxy will basically circumnavigate the cluster uh, in different directions. Um, sometimes this directionality is perfect and the photons travel literally straight in our direction. Uh, and in this case, we observed uh, that perfect directionality with the lensed galaxy the U Chicago undergraduates discovered. Another one, another one of the impressive discoveries that was made was uh, an exo-Jupiter that was discovered that is significantly less massive than Jupiter. So, it, it was a weird discovery that was recently made by planetary uh, scientists. They literally found a planet with a similar diameter to Jupiter, so similar in size, but with 10% of the mass. So, it was pretty much like 10 times less dense. Uh, on top of this, the planet actually orbited its, it orbited its star every 5.7 days at a distance of under 6 million miles. Uh, the planet is known as WASP-107b, and its existence is still perplexing astronomers and challenging all they know on planetary astronomy. Uh, this discovery has perplexed astronomers simply because it had been generally believed that to form a gas planet uh, like Jupiter, a gas giant planet like Jupiter, so the solid core of the planetesimal, the uh, basically the preamble to the planet itself, uh, must be 10 times more massive than Earth, and it wasn't. Um, this planet's core is nowhere near that threshold, as 85% of its mass lies outside of the core, and the planet as a whole is only 30 times more massive than Earth. This means that the core is around 5 times the mass of Earth, which means that only half, that it has only half of the mass it actually should uh, be in order to build a planet like that. Uh, the hypothesis currently for this irregular planet is that it formed further out in the solar system, um, where the accretion of gases is more plausible and rapid, and then by some process migrated to the inner solar system where it remains today. Uh, still, this planet is certainly a force of scientific innovation, as its properties are still somewhat inexplicable uh, by modern planetary scientific standards. Of course, there's a lot more that happened this month, so we might as well just get into it. Um, so, basically... Yeah, let's get into it. Um, so, an exotic magnetar, um, it, which is a type of neutron, neutron star with an exceptionally strong magnetic field, uh, recently discovered by astronomers, spins incredibly fast at a rate of once every 1.4 seconds, which is still not insanely fast for a neutron star, because neutron stars generally spin faster than magnetars, if I have this correct. Um and is literally only 500 years old. It is half a millennia old. So, literally, this magnetar did not exist during the bubonic plague. It did not... It did not exist during the bubonic plague. Like, think about this in astronomical terms. This is an exceptionally uh, short period of time. Uh, the importance of such a discovery is that it allows astronomers to conduct research on magnetars and neutron stars really early in their development, which... For any stars in general, we don't really get to do, so this is quite an incredible uh, feat of discovery right here. Uh, neutron stars are the extremely dense and dead cores. Let's just get into neutron stars. Uh, they're the dense and dead cores of collapsed super and hypergiants, so collapsed massive stars, basically. 
the conditions within neutron stars are so extreme that the protons and electrons themselves within the core of the dead supergiant literally collapse down into neutrons. The core is so dense that a teaspoon of neutron goo would weigh more than a billion tons under Earth's gravity. It would have a gravitational pull on the Earth itself at that point. I mean, not quite, obviously, but still, it's quite heavy. Um, magnetars are even stranger than neutron stars. Uh, they, are, they too are the dead cores of stars gone supernova, but they are significantly different from their neutron star siblings. Magnetars are characterized by significantly stronger magnetic fields uh, than other neutron stars, and yeah, that's basically the reason why they're called a magnetar. They have really insanely strong magnetic fields. So strong that they literally, like, rip you into atoms. Like, they... they they rip apart your body, basically. Like, there's a whole... I watched a video about that, not that long... Like, about a year ago. I can't remember uh, exactly what it was like, but a lot of weird stuff happens when you get close to a magnetar. But yeah. Um, so the dominant theory surrounding their formation results from a process known as... There's a long word, but... Magnetohydrodynamic dynamo... Uh, also known as dynamo theory, which is a theory that attempts to explain the processes uh, by which stars uh, and planets themselves obtain magnetic fields. Uh, I will leave a link con covering dynamo theory down in the description, as this is a very heavy topic we do not have the time to explain. Uh, it is believed that the magnetar simply has more conducting fluids than uh, that keep its magnetic field extremely strong, but... Again, this is still disputed because we don't know that much about magnetars. There's so much in planetary astronomy that we just don't know at all. Um, but yeah, uh, another theory, though of course not as accepted, is that it's simply uh, originated from a star with an unusually strong magnetic field. Which makes way more sense, but apparently it's uh, more uh, disputed. There probably, I, I'm sure there are reasons for it, and I'm sure that because I'm not the expert here, they know what they're talking about, so I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to make an irrational assumption about someone else's scientific, scientifically literate opinions. Um, but yeah, so we have more apparently because the amount of astronomy that uh, astronomical developments that occur uh, in the world of science are just there's so many. Um, we spoke of gravitons, the ominous particles that are missing from the standard model of particle physics, uh, and how gravity is the least understood of the four fundamental, well, four known fundamental forces. Uh, in 2016, astronomers watched in awe as a collision of two black holes produced the first ever direct, direct observation of gravitational waves, which are believed to har harbor themselves gravitons. Um, since then, few observations have been produced. Um, of gravitational waves, so they remain an unknown in physics. Uh, generally, uh, astronomers can observe gravitational waves only in the most extreme instances, notably when two massive objects collide with one another. Um, astronomers at the survey in which the gravitational waves were first directly observed actually want to change that. They want to be observed. They want to observe them for much longer periods of time. Um, they want to observe those lighter, less noticeable, and longer-lasting gravitational waves that emanate from massive events, again, like colliding black holes and other massive objects. Uh, generally, events in which astronomers observe gravitational waves last for mere seconds, normally around three seconds, and they've only been able to see them like 11 times. They haven't seen them that many times. So astronomers now plan to tap into a field, into the field of the gravitational background, which 
I'm thinking cosmic microwave background, but put into gravitational waves. So similar, but different. Um, where they will be able to study gravitational waves for significantly longer periods of time than they had before. Um, additionally, the astronomers heading the new project have discovered evidence for a process that distorts, in this meaning, uh, affects the time it takes for light to, from a pulsar to reach Earth, uh, to reach Earth, uh, the light emanating from a pulsar. Um, this could actually be evidence for a gravitational wave background. These are really, really insanely small uh, periods of time that, periods of, like, distortion, but they're caught. They are, they are very much so captured. Um, but yeah, this could, of course, be evidence for gravitational wave background, but again, that's unproven. Uh, the implications of a discovery like this are very immense, and future dis discoveries could actually finally lead to the joining of quantum mechanics and classical mechanics, which we discussed in episode 18 is not the easiest thing that has ever existed before. It's not easy at all. It's going to take some significant uh, abilities and some significant uh, discoveries because we obviously have not discovered what we need to discover yet because we cannot join quantum mechanics with classical mechanics yet because we just don't know it yet. There's still a long way to go in that situation. It's just... There's still a lot more to know. There's a lot, lot more no more to know. We we still have a long ways to go. Um, th that's always been a really kind of crazy. Um, it, it's always gravity. It, it's always gravity. Like we look at, we look at the we look at gravity as like this amazing, incredible law. Like yes, it exists, but like we know it exists, but we don't know anything about it. It's like the least known of the four fundamental forces, but it's the most popular because of the story of Newton and the apple. Like, like people don't, who knows about the strong nuclear force? Like, that's not the kind of thing people know about. People know about gravity, the gravitational force, but no one knows about the strong nuclear force or the weak nuclear force. Even though the weak nuclear force is literally the reason that we exist. And actually, the strong nuclear force itself is also the reason we exist, because it's the reason for protons and neutrons. And the weak nuclear force is the reason for the electrons and the neutrinos and the nuclear fusion well, actually, the neutrinos are what carries the... Or no. Yes, the neutrinos technically are what... Um, it's actually not technically a neutrino. But, yes. Uh, so let's just get back to this. Um, so then there, there are more, of course. Uh, so, uh, actually, some astronomers found radio galaxies that are 62 times larger than the Milky Way itself. Uh, in the next episode, we'll be discussing the different... Uh, classifications of the galaxies. Uh, one of the types of galaxies we'll, we will cover, and I know this because I already finished the script, not script, but guide, uh, is a type of peculiar galaxy known as an AGN, which is also known as an active galactic nuclei. Uh, AGNs are characterized by an abnormally lumin luminous center uh, in which a galactically massive, super uh, massive black hole looms, and then also there's a lot of stars. Um, a lot of bright, uh, luminous stars and star-forming regions that exist there. But yeah, uh, a radio galaxy is essentially a type of active galactic nuclei that is noti notably luminous in the radio wavelengths. Uh, there are a lot of well-known galaxies that are uh, known that are similar to radio uh, galaxies that are radio galaxies themselves that are um, AGNs of radio waves. Uh, this includes some of the very most well-known galaxies that exist, and when I think of it, I think of Centaurus A, which I've actually imaged before, and Cygnus A. 
Uh, using the Meerkat radio telescope in South Africa, astronomers discovered two more radio galaxies, uh, these ones being peculiarly large. Uh, these two galaxies are around 62 times, each around 62 times, the diameter of the Milky Way, which makes them larger than 93% of the galaxies, uh, the radio galaxies known to exist in the universe as of yet, and again, among among the largest single objects in the universe. So 62 times the diameter is insane, because what, what's the... The diameter, it's either 100,000 or 200,000 light years of the Milky Way, so <laughs> it's pretty long. It's a pretty significant diameter. But yeah, so these two massive radio galaxies support the hypothesis that the number of GRGs, or giant radio galaxies, estimated to exist within the universe is a significant undercount. Uh, we found two, like right next to each other, so that should tell you something. Um, there may be many more of these giant apex producers of radio waves that exist in the shadows of our universe. Uh, so this one is way more based on technology and based on um, a lot of speculation, but it's still true. Like, it's it'll be practical in like 10,000 years maybe, but not really right now. But it's still very important that we learn about it in advance. Uh, so physicists actually figured out a method by which uh, energy may be extracted from black holes. Uh, essentially, ever since Einstein's theory of relativity hypothesized that black holes are arbors of endless supplies of energy, are havens for endless supplies of energy and matter, uh, astronomers and physicists alike have pondered methods by which an astronomer, or not an astronomer, an advanced civilization uh, could extract from the magnificent quicksand of the universe. And when I mean quicksand, I mean you can't escape it because black holes are impossible to escape without traveling faster than light. Uh, now it seems like physicists themselves have found that first method, a first, first method by which you can extract energy from a black hole. Uh, in a paper funded by the National Science Foundation, or the NSF, you should know that, um, and published in Physical Review, which is a journal, scientific journal, astronomers, for, astronomers from Columbia University in New York City and Universidad uh, Adolfo Ibanez uh, in Chile uh, discovered that an advanced civilization could harness the immense en energy of a black hole by what they note as breaking and rejoining magnetic field lines near the event horizons of black holes. Uh, so in the regions surrounding black holes, there actually exists what is known as a hot soup of plasma particles uh, from which magnetic fields essentially emanate um, their new hypothesis pretty much states that when the lines of those magnetic fields are disconnected and reconnected um, in the correct way, those, uh, those same plasma particles are accelerated to negative energy. Uh, I don't know how that's possible personally, but just read the paper. I've, I've attached a good link by the National Science Foundation that covers it. Um, but yeah. And pre pretty much at that point, large amounts of energy derived from the black hole can be harnessed. Uh, based on the article published by the National Science Foundation, uh, the reconnection of the magnetic fields in these plasma soups results in two oppositely rotating plasma flow, uh, flows. Some of the plasma flows in the same direction as the black hole rotates, as everything within the black hole's gravitational field does anyways, um, and the rest of the uh, plasma flows in the opposite direction of the rotation of the black hole. And 
basically there's reconnection causes the flow that travels in the opposite direction uh, to be traveling near the speed of light, literally that opposite direction. Uh, plasma is traveling near the speed of light. It is tra traveling at relativistic speeds um, with significant amounts of energy, which can be easily harnessed. Well, not easily, not not easily at all, but it can be harnessed into immense amounts of energy for human or intelligent life in general use. Uh, the lead scientist of the paper referred to this dynamic as akin to losing weight by eating candy with negative calories. Uh, he explains that in the ergosphere, a region surrounding a black hole, everything unequivocally travels in the same direction the black hole spins. In this region, when a um, black hole swallows something with negative energy, it loses energy. Um, I take it that when some of this plasma is forced into flying away from the black hole, it loses negative energy, mean, meaning it gains energy. Um, the magnetic field reconnection in the ergosphere of a black hole is so extreme that the plasma will be energized to travel at speeds approaching the speed of light at relativistic speeds. Uh, fast enough for it to escape and be captured for use. Uh, this would produce energy so immense that even nuclear fusion would seem futile. Um, this is an extreme concept, of course. There's a lot of extreme concepts in astronomy. So again, I have left a link down in the description that details this in more clarity. So the last notable discovery on here is that red dwarf sunlight uh, was actually used to grow photosynthesizing bacteria. Uh, so the last, of course, and second most important of the discoveries, because the most important discovery, in my opinion, is the discovery of uh, the grav or basically the entering close to the realm crazy realm of gravitational waves, um, is essentially the discovery, um, in meaning an experiment that suggests that red dwarfs may be prime habitats for photosynthetic bio biological development and evolution. Uh, recently, researchers at the Astronomical Observa Observatory of Padova, which I believe is in Italy, uh, recreated the spectrum of a typical red dwarf star and e experimented with uh, Chlorogloiopsis thermalis, which is a photosynthesizing bacteria that is similar to extremophile cyanobacteria. It is an extremophile in this sense. And the results they obtained were quite impressive. Basically, the bacteria grew, even under those conditions. Uh, there's no indication that it grew faster than it does under the sun, but I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything on that. There's no indication of that. But it's still an interesting discovery. I mean, this affirms the hypothesis that photosynthesis can still occur under wet red dwarfs, where light resides more in the red and infrared spectrum, which are harder to photosynthesize than shorter wavelengths. Obviously, this makes sense if you think about it more with the shorter wavelengths and longer wavelengths. Obviously, infrared is a longer wavelength than the yellow and blue light. I mean, not, not quite yellow, but like blue and green. I mean, still, though, I... I uh, it's interesting, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, also the, another benefit is that with red, uh, with red dwarfs, there's a more of an absence of UV light, which UV light is way on the blue end. Um, UV light really destroys cells. So an absence of it is of course beneficial. Um, still, I find the study to be very earth centered, like on a planet surrounding a red dwarf, wouldn't it make sense that organisms that conduct processes similar to photosynthesis would be more apt to utilizing the red and infrared wavelengths? Like why would life in the universe be restricted to the extremely fragile and narrow limits of terrestrial life? 
I mean, in an ex in an exoplanet completely independent of our planet, wouldn't life exist differently? Like, wouldn't it evolve differently? I mean, it's completely independent of Earth itself. Um, while this is an interesting discovery of a study that should have been conducted, I still find it to be Earth-centered, personally. But again, I'm not an expert, so I'm sure they had their reasons. I doubt that I really doubt that these astronomers implied for it to be Earth-centered, but rather attempted simply to figure out if photosynthesis is possible on another exoplanet. On an exoplanet, which is an extrasolar planet, basically, meaning that it's a planet that was discovered that's not in our solar system. Surrounding a star like a red dwarf. But yeah, it is imperative that we all see the exceptional learning and innovation that occurs right under our noses. Hopefully this episode enlightened you on the numerous astronomical, literally pun intended, uh, discoveries that occur often in astronomy and physics. Uh, it seems to me that discoveries are often unappreciated until well after the discovery is made and the theory developed. So I thought I would showcase some discoveries uh, that have not yet been made into theories. Uh, these episodes shall likely continue in the months to come, depending on if I want to do them or not. There's a lot of stuff in astronomy that I want to learn, but of course, the good thing about these episodes is that I can still learn stuff on the side. I can learn the basics about, like, gravitational lensing, for example. I mean, I already kind of knew it, but I could have used a refresher, so it was good. And also, uh, I fixed uh, something I obviously did wrong about radio galaxies, because I considered radio galaxies... Um, I, I thought radio galaxies, it was basically them being so far away that their uh, light is, that the light emanating from them is uh, redshifted to the radio wavelengths, which was completely incorrect. So, that's good that this episode, this episode enlightened me on that. That's pretty good. Also, I learned the difference between gravitational waves and gravitons. That, that was a big one. That was a big one. But yeah, so... These episodes hopefully will continue, but I'm not sure yet. I'm thinking I'll probably continue them, though. But yeah, so thank you all for listening to episode 20 of Learning by William. And as always, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Take care and stay curious.